everybody's waiting, but we're going to get into the Word today. Amen? Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse 15 through 18. We've been talking about the church. The church is kind of a lost identity in that it has lost its identity from Scripture and has gained its identity from people's opinions or things that people think are right or spiritual when they really end up being anti-church, anti-Jesus, anti-Christ. And uh, I do not say that to be mean, but sometimes you got to call a snake a snake before you can grab it by the neck. Amen? All right, I'm glad you were happy. All right, listen, Matthew 16, verse 15, it says this, And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, not upon an individual, not upon an earthly uh, being, but upon a divine revelation. And it says, upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, now let's go to Matthew twelve fifty. So the church is the byproduct or the plan and the purpose of Jesus Christ himself. It belongs to him. Jesus said, I will build my church. No church belongs to an individual. Sometimes people say, oh, I go to your church. No, you don't go to my church. I don't have a church. Only Believe Ministries Christian Center is a 501c3 identity. That means that it falls within the guidelines of that which is a charitable organization or tax-free. Now, some people say, oh, when you're tax-free, you're a prisoner to the government. Yeah, right, 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 right. Heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it. Have never compromised the word because of it. Now, if I am forced to, with the decision to compromise the word or lose my uh, 5013C, then we will lose the 5013C. But the hundreds of thousands and tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars that we put into missions and won people for Jesus Christ are well worth meeting a few guidelines. And that simply means here are the guidelines. You have to preach your faith. 5013, you have to preach your faith. You have to declare the basis of your faith. You have to be so much percentage involved in feeding the poor and ministering to those are less fortunate. Now, I know these are staggering things that we should not even consider that the government forces us to help the poor. Oh, don't you just hate that force? Yes. See, sometimes we jump on bandwagons that somebody fell, fell or gave birth to to get an identity. Please, stop trying to be on a bandwagon. Amen. Just, just believe the Bible. 
Hallelujah. All right, Matthew, the 12th chapter, and verse 15, it says this. When Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and I'm sorry, Matthew 12, 50. We got a long ways there. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, this is the requirement of being a part of the church. Whosoever will do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. We are called to be a part of the family of faith. The family of faith is a part of the church of God. And so we have to realize that the new birth or being born into Christ Jesus is inseparable of being born into the church. The church is to be an expression of the will of the Father and is to be interwoven with the characteristics of love one for another. Amen? All right. So here's what a church is. A church is a people who have accepted or responded to the call or the invitation to accept Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. And, of course, that entails all of his work. That entails his suffering. That entails his sinless life, his miracle life. That entails his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, and the resurrection from the dead. And it means that, uh, that we, as a people, that have responded to the invitation to come out from the world, be separate from the world, then we are the church. It means that all those who have willfully accepted Jesus Christ and submitted to his lordship are the church. The church is a living, breathing, fleshly organism. And its purpose is to express or to reveal the invisible God to a world that is bound by by darkness and sin. So they sit in darkness, but it's the church's job, our job as an assembly, to call forth those things that will make God unveiled or have God unveiled. The Bible says, let the world see your good works, Matthew the fifth chapter, that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. It is the church's job to reveal God to a lost world bound and shadowed and shackled by darkness. The church is to be a local church. It is a part of a universal church, which means worldwide, and as well as it's a part of the invisible church, that church which is seated in heaven and have already died and been joined to Christ. All local churches are a part of the invisible and the universal church. Now remember, a church must be doing the will of the Father and be living in the blood, in the love of a family, one towards another. Now, in the body of Christ, there is neither black, white, red, green, pink, or polka dotted. It has no classification, has no social hierarchy, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The body of Christ, the church, is based upon the repentance of every man and every woman, thus making every man and every woman equal in the eyes one with another. 
No man can judge someone by a social standing or of a class or of a hierarchy. We as the church are one dependent upon each other. Amen? Supportive of each other and protective of each other. So we have to understand that every individual that is in an assembly, we are to be respective of others. We are to love people as our brothers and sisters because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are to protect them, encourage them. If they weep, we weep with them. If they rejoice, we rejoice with them. Amen? That's the church. Now, the church is the dwelling place of God among men. The church. You might say, well, that's me. No, that is the assembly. That is the assembly. Now, we are stones and individuals by ourselves. And I do understand when we say, well, we are the church. I understand that we are the church. But without everybody else, we are not the church. It takes the ear to help the eye, the mouth to help the foot, the hand to help the nose. All parts are individuals, but only as we assemble together do we represent the fullness of Christ, the perfect man. Amen. All right. So we are called the house of God. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3.15 on the screen. Well, of course, we're going to move by through some of these other names that the church is, but sometimes we don't hear them. And remember, a name gives a description of what the church does. Now, it's in 1 Timothy 3.15. Yep, it's coming. There we go. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in, somebody say in, the house of God. Now, anybody with any common sense would understand that you sitting at home by yourself, this scripture is not talking about you. It is talking about that thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God. Somebody say, in the house of God. Now, what would be in the house of God? In the assembly of God. We're going to look at the order of it. In the assemblies of God, we should know how to behave ourselves. In other words, every man needs to understand the order of the assemblies that they are a part of. Man, well, we, we just have a, a, you know, a body ministry. We just float around. You're kooky. There is an order. Paul said, in the house, let everything be done decently and in order. I had a couple tell me one time, said, oh, man, we went to a church. It was so spiritual. They prophesied 12 times. I said, why did you stay? Well, it seemed like it was so spiritual. I said, it was crazy. The Bible says that a man or woman should prophesy two or at the most three times. You have got to make sure that there is an order to the house, and the order is based upon the scriptures from the owner of the house, God. Put again, amen. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself 
in the house of God. Now you know that it's talking about a dwelling place. It's talking about a location. It's talking about steel, mortar, wood. It's talking about physical places that people have dedicated and devoted to the use of worship. Remember Solomon dedicated the temple of Solomon? What did he dedicate? He did, really. Yeah, he dedicated a building, wood, stone, brick. And God was very well pleased with that. David painted it with $400 million worth of gold. So don't tell me that God's not into buildings because Jesus went to one every Sunday in the synagogue. So sometimes when we come up with these New Testament spiritual statements, they just reveal to us how small and how childish we really are. Be careful what you speak because people may find out you're not as wise as you look. Yeah, behave thyself in the house or in the assembly, which is what? The what? The church. Somebody say the church. Of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So here we see that we, the church, are the house of God. Ephesians 2.22 says we are the habitation of God. God lives in us but he also abides in an assembly. You mean to tell me that God could anoint a building? Well, absolutely. His presence is uncontainable, and whatever it touches, it becomes affected by it. Amen? Remember, Jesus was touched by, on the hem of his garment, and the sick were healed. The woman with the issue of blood is a great testament of what God has done. Absolutely. You remember Paul took the presence of God and off of his body came handkerchiefs and aprons and so forth. And when they were put on the body of the sick that they were healed, when he put them on the body of those that had devils, they came out. So can God inhabit a building? Yes. Does the assembly leave an essence of God's presence in a building? Yes. Yes. As much as Solomon's temple in, was inhabited with the glory of God, so are New Testament assemblies inhabited by the presence of God. Ephesians 2.21 says that we are a holy temple. A holy temple. Now the church is called Christian is called saints, is called believers, the beloved of God, holy brethren, fellow citizens, disciples, called the faithful, is called the fellow citizens of God, is called followers of God, is called the heirs of God, is called a royal priesthood, is called a peculiar people, called vessels of honor, God's service. It's called the place of mercy. It is also called the worshipers of God. Now those are all brand names. 
When I say brand name, simply means that if you bear one of these names, you're branded to be a servant or a follower of God. Now, let's get into the word today. Go to Titus chapter 1 and verse 4. Titus. Remember, we're talking about the church. Oh, do we have to hear about this? Yeah. You got to hear about it. Just like you got to read the employer, the uh, employee's handbook. If you want to understand it, you got to read it. And that's why we're teaching on the church. To Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace and mercy and peace be uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Next verse. For this cause, somebody say for a cause. Now there is a reason that Titus has went to the island of Crete. Why? Because it needs order. And it says, for this cause, this cause, I left thee in Crete. What's the cause? That thou should have set in order the things that are wanting or needed and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. That thou should have set in order. That thou should have set in order. Real interesting word. That word order means to set in a place of, uh, what do you call that? Uh, when you're doing something systematic. To set up a systematic way of life in order to end up producing God's will. Now notice that it's a, the word order, it's kind of like a command. When the captain says, let's go, we're going to charge. Everybody gets up and charges. The word order simply means that it needs to have a systematic way of doing something to come out with a God result. Without order, people are chaotic. People say, oh, I hate organized religion. Jesus said, set them down in groups of 50, and a miracle came. Jesus said, this is where we're going to go. The mission was accomplished. Jesus said, Peter, you and John, you go to another city, and you prepare a place for us to eat. Jesus had order in his ministry. God has order in creation, and God has order in the church. And it says this, for this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou should have set in order those things which are wanting. Now let me explain that. Every church is different. Every church and every congregation is different. You cannot run to every church that has something that you think is right. Oh, I'm going over there maybe because they got an intercession. Okay, go ahead. And then you come back and say, well, you know, it wasn't what I thought it was. What is that? That's a schizophrenic, emotionally led Christian. See, God sets in a church. He doesn't let people roll through a church. Well, what are you? I, I'm Mr. Church Hopper. Well, just hop on down the road and save yourself time. See, you can't build a church on moving sand and rolling stones. You can't build a church that is going to last from generation to generation and touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that never take time to get roots or people that come 
to take and not to participate. You know, because there are parasite Christians. In other words, they just come to suck the life out of everything that they can get so that they can, quote, unquote, be more spiritual. But the problem is that when you're rolling all the time and connected to nothing, there's nothing spiritual about you. Hallelujah, you're right. Praise God. Now let's go back to Titus. And it says this, that are wanting and ordain or elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Now let's go next verse. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. A bishop must be blameless as the stewards of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Now let's stop and we will, I'll just explain to you what's happening. Not only is Titus setting in order the things that need for the church to run smoothly and to be fruitful. Remember, order simply means a systematic way of doing things that brings us to a desired end. It is a systematic way of starting something to come to a desired end. Sometimes people, you know, hate organized religion. Well, any time that you have two people come together and you say, we're going to start at 9 o'clock, you have just organized a meeting. Yeah, right. What their organization means is that we get to do everything that we want to do and still call it God. No, you can't. And then it says this, for the bishop must be blameless, steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Now what is Titus doing? He's setting in order a systematic requirement of people that are to be active in certain offices in the kingdom. And of course, if you don't need to be in the church because you are the church, you'll never have a bishop or a deacon anyway. <laughs> Right? So what happens is none of that falls into play. None of that will ever happen. And you don't need order for yourself. You need order for an assembly. Why? Because a well-ordered army is a victorious army. Amen. A church without order, a church without governed vision is a church that does nothing. Now, let's go down to verse like 8. Okay, but lovers of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy. Next, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that ye may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they should not teach for filthy lucre's sake. Now, why do we need to set things in order? To protect the household, to have sound doctrine, and to protect our people from teaching that would deceive them and subvert them and bring them into subjection to people that will only use them. That's why. 
All right. Now, let's go over now to uh, Acts, the sixth chapter. Acts, the sixth chapter. Hallelujah. Praise God. Somebody say order is good. Absolutely it is. You have order in your house. You have order in your house. You have order in your job. You have order on the road. You have order in the police force. You have order, I would say government, but no, they, yeah, all right. And it says this, and in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And then the 12 called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, look, it's not reason that we should leave uh, and should leave the word of God and serve tables. And then next verse, and it says, Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves, notice what he's doing. He is laying out the order of a pastor's that we should give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now that's our job. Amen? All right. And then it says this, and the saying pleased, God was moving that day, the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and uh, what is that part? Yeah, there you go. And Nick and, yeah, no. Jim, and then there was John, and there was Sam, and, and uh, all of the Nick uh, saints and, uh, right, proselytes of Antioch. Next verse. Whom they set before the apostles. In other words, nothing happens in a church except those that have been set in the house to set in order, honor what is happening in the house. Why? Because we have to judge if any be blameless. Now you say, oh, well, well, we, we all know them. Maybe, maybe not. But see, I have a responsibility to make sure that who you are exposed to have the right intentions and have the heart of God. So things don't happen in a local church just because some people want them to happen. Amen? It's subject to those that have been made overseers or those that have set in place to set order. Now, we may not like that, but that's just the way that it is. We aren't going to compromise the word and change it because people don't like it. Amen? And sometimes, of course, always, when you don't side with people, they side against you. Look, we may see things that others may not see. And God lets us see that to protect our flock and to protect ourselves and to protect the people that are involved. So here we see that the disciples are doing what? They're setting order. Somebody say order. And when there is no order, guess what? Their wives are neglected. In other words, ministry breaks down. So you have to have order. Could it get an amen? Absolutely. you got to have order order then you see the requirements of those that are put over other people to carry out the work of the ministry so it defines what 
what the pastor does. It defines requirements for other people. It reveals to us when order is not in that ministry is going to break down. It's just going to break down. And then we see that men and women are to carry out the work of the ministry so that the fivefold ministry, the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, so forth, can give themselves to the word. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 4, 14. 1 Corinthians 14. I hate that we have to read all these scriptures, but it's just that we need to learn it. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. Follow after charity, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. Next verse. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh in tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. And now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall profit you except I speak unto you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Next verse. And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound, how shall it be known what is pipe or harp? One more. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Now what do we have? We have order in a congregation, even including spiritual gifts. May the Lutherans come alive. Amen. Yes. And it also has to do with defining not only a gift and putting it in order, but causing it to be fruitful. Because something without order or regulated by God is like you're a barbarian to people. Nobody understands you and nobody gets anything from it. Now, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 16 through 19. And it says this, Even when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what you sayeth? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. He was from southern Jerusalem. Next verse. <laughs> yet in the church, yet in the church, notice there is an order in the church that is different than your personal life. And then it says this. In the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that my voice might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue again we have order now let's go to first corinthians 14 23 we'll wrap up in corinthians on this somebody say thank god 
Now it ain't that bad. All right. And it says this. Therefore, the whole church, what is that called? An assembly. Therefore, the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in one that is unlearned or unbelievers. Will thou not, will they not say that you're mad? And if all prophesy and come in one that believes not or one unlearned, is he not convinced of all and is he not judged of all? And thus are the secrets of men's hearts made manifest. So falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Next verse. How is it, brethren? Watch these words. How is it, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm. Every one of you hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Next verse. For if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and unto God. How is it, brethren, you come together, all of you, with something from God? Now, Paul's not disputing whether it's from God or not. He just says that there is order in the house. And the order of the house trumps spiritual inspiration if it's done out of the boundaries of the order. So just because we get something doesn't mean that we're supposed to make sure that everybody in the assembly hears it. Is that right? Absolutely. Oh, God just gave me something. I just can't keep it. Might not be God. If you're being so driven and so possessed, maybe you ought to check the root of that thing. Remember, because a believer is subject to the order that God has set in the house. All right. Hallelujah. Remember, when the whole church came together, prayer was made for Peter, and the prison doors were open. If people are individuals, how do they work this prayer system? Is it by phone call? No. It doesn't work. You know it, and I know it. Acts 11. Let's go to Acts 11, 26. I'm sorry i got to keep doing this, but I'm, I'm going to do it. And it says this, And when I had found him, he brought him, talking about Paul, unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the, who? The church, the church. Anybody know who this is talking about? The apostle Paul and Barnabas came together and they joined themselves through submission. Their gifting came into submission to the church. I say the church and they assembled themselves and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch and in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch and there stood up one named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be a great dearth or drought throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar and the disciples every man according to his own ability determined to send relief 
unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Last verse. Which they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, let's stop right there. Unless there is an assembly, there can be no vision accomplished. There can be no vision verified. Amen? Now, some people have a vision for certain things, but that doesn't mean that your church has to have that vision. See, people think that if we believe in them, we do everything they want us to do. I believe in my child. <laughs> I did very little. She has no clue. Yeah, we have got to make sure that we are operating within an order in the assembly. And then it says this, and they took the offering and they sent it to the brethren. Now, who did Agabus speak to? Did he go to everybody's individual house and prophesy to them? Who did he prophesy to? The assembly. You're right. Now, where were the prophets in that day? In the church. Somebody say, in the church. In the church. Now, without the assembly, vision cannot be cast. Vision and need cannot be unveiled by the prophet's words. And people cannot rally together to accomplish a God vision or a God purpose and bring it to an end. Now, I know that some of you are sitting at home saying, well, I do this and I do that. Look, give them to Jerry's kids. They're not helping the kingdom. You know what? You do what you want to do because you're self-rebellious. You're self-ordered. You're self-governed. And you just want to do what you want to do. You're just a stiff-necked, useless part of the body of Christ. Now, you may think that's hard for those of you that are here, but you tell me what a singular person running off from the kingdom, declaring himself self-governed, isolated, refusing to be set in order or come into order with the local church. What is that? Nothing but rebellion. Nothing but rebellion. Kind of sounds like Saul. Well, I said I'm the church. I give sometimes. Oh, so you haven't, Samuel, so you haven't done anything, praise God, of what you're supposed to do. All right, let's go to Philemon, and then we're going to. Well, we're going to be here a long time. Philemon, uh, verse 2, and it says, And to the beloved Agrippa, no, Apahia and Archippus, our fellow soldiers, and to the church, somebody say to the church, the assembly that is in their house. Now what does that mean? That means that churches can be started and ran in houses. But also there would be a pastor to feed that flock. Not just somebody having a Bible study. Not just somebody having fellowship. Bible studies are great. Fellowships are great. But they do not replace your church. 
Amen. Because when you die, your Bible study is not going to bury you. Then you'll be whining to the church. We're going to let you sit outside in the sun three or four weeks and just get real right before we kick you down. No. See, that is usury. That is being a parasite. Taking what you can get and never contributing to the kingdom of our living God. Hallelujah. All right. Let's go to Revelations. Wow. Revelations is in the teaching of the church. Well, let's see. Revelations. Revelation. Oh, you want to know what chapter? Revelations uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. Hey, could we go to Revelations 1 in the last verse? Can we do that? Just scroll up, down. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Now the mystery of the seven stars, which are, which thou sawest in Jesus' right hand, the seven golden candlesticks. Now the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Anybody know what the seven angels are? They are the seven set men of God in that church. They are men. They are not just angels. Angels, that word there means messenger. There are seven stars which are the messenger or the spokesman for the seven churches or to the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Next verse. Revelations 2, 1. Yeah, there, thank you. Unto the angel. Somebody say unto the angel. Who is Jesus delivering the message to the seven churches to? I know it's hard to say. Who is he delivering the message to be spoken to the church to? Thank you. And it says this, to the church at Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Notice the word church. Somebody say church. Who does the pastor speak to? An assembly. And I didn't write this. It's in here. All right. Then you can go to Revelations 2.8. It says the very same thing. Say this to the angel of the church. Revelations 2.12. Same thing to the church. Say this to the angel of the church. Revelations 2.18. Say this to the angel of the church. Revelations 3.1, 3.7, Say this to the angel of the church. Does God speak to believers? Yes. Does God order a congregation through people in the congregation? No. Oh, but I can hear from God. Well, I guess you can, but not in the way of a pastor. Now, I challenge you, not in the way of a pastor. Oh, but I got good revelation. I'm sure you got good hygiene, too. What's that got to do with nothing, anything? Well, well I'm smart. I had a woman tell me one time. She said, God told me you're too stupid to be pastor. And that, you know, and I had paid for her to go to Bible college for two years. 
I just invested in it. You used it as seed, so I sent her to two years Bible college. So at the end of two years Bible college, she said, I've been praying. God told me that you're too dumb to be pastor and that I should be pastor of this church. And I said, well, I might be dumb, but I'm not so dumb enough to let you stay in this church. Don't return. So Sunday morning when I went there, the problem was she was the head of the deacon's, the, the deacon's wife. That's who she was, the head deacon's wife. And so I said, now, here's what happened to the head deacon. Told them their name, said, this is what happened. So I threw the door of the church open and said, and if you agree with them, hit that door right behind it. Nobody moved. They stood and gave me a standing ovation. One guy said, it's not that we agree with you or not. It's just we never seen anybody have enough guts to say anything. Somebody say the angel of the church. Now, you might think that that angel, that pastor, is very insignificant. Quickly, let's go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to have to wrap up. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I would say that we can continue if you'd like to, but judging the atmosphere, ain't nobody going to be here but me. Ephesians 4, 8, it says this. When he said us, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is he? But he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that hath ascended up far above all heaven, that he might fill all things. And him, Jesus. Now Jesus purchased these gifts. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints. Now, where do the fivefold ministries assemble themselves to distribute what God has spoken to them? Somebody say in the assembly. Even Paul and Barnabas in Acts the 13th chapter, came up to the church and made themselves submissive to the church and did not preach until the church said, go preach. And then they told them what to preach. Now, I'm sure that Barnabas's wife was mad. Oh, don't they recognize you got a good call in your life? Don't they? Barnabas said, shut up, crazy woman. He said, I want to do it God's way but you deserve more. We should have our own ministry. Shut up, foolish woman. And in my storybook, she's never heard of again. Whether it was Jonah's whale reappearing or the lion that ate the prophet. I'm not sure. But she's disappeared. She has not. Was, was she ever mentioned in the Bible? No. Why? I don't, I don't know. Now, where do, does the fivefold ministry assemble? Does it come to your house, you that are the church? Does it come to your house, you that have the Bible study? Does it come to your house, you that have fellowship? No. No. And here's what is never going to happen in your Bible study, your fellowship or your own life. 
for the perfecting of the saints. You're never going to rise to being the Christ man. And for the work of the ministry, you're never really going to do anything. Really, you're not going to do anything. For the edifying of the body of Christ, you will never edify and exalt people. You won't ever have it in you. And then it says, unity. You're not unified, you're divisive. And then, to the knowledge of the Son of God. God will not give you knowledge because you're not in a place to even use it. And then to the perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, you will never find your purpose and your function without being in an assembly. And that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about. So here we see that you're always going to be like a rolling stone gathering no moss. And that you will be carried about with every wind of doctrine and by the slight of men, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive you. But when you are brought up under the fivefold ministry, you will end up speaking the truth in love. You will grow up him in him in all things. Verse 16, you will begin to minister parts and strengths joint one from another. And then you will be compacted by that which every joint is supplied. In other words, you'll begin to experience the effects of other people's gifting according to the effectual working in the full measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. You will never increase in the assembly. You will never increase yourself. And you certainly will not be able to perpetuate a love walk with anybody because it's all self-centered. Could I get an amen? Absolutely. Are pastors important? Yes. Do we rule without compassion and love? Absolutely not. We are to rule with love, compassion, and understanding with all long-suffering. Acts 15, 11 through 29, when they came up, they came up and said, this is what happened to the Gentiles and they said this is what you preach because the church is a place of sound doctrine could again an amen and then one more is there any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church how many elders do you have in your household Terry woman how many I didn't think so you have none because there is no order in your life you have none because you've separated yourself from the vine. You are not fruitful because there's no life in you. You're bored with yourself and so is everybody else. Get off your horse and get into an assembly and commit yourself to God's plan instead of your own. Amen? I got saved being a dog-dead sinner. One thing I knew as soon as I got saved, stop fornicating, Stop cussing, stop lying, stop cheating, stop stealing, no more getting drunk, and go to church. I knew that before I even opened the Bible. Well, if you're a pig, you aren't going to go to the restaurant downtown, you're going to go to the pig farm. 
If you're a pig, show up at the barn. You go to the restaurant, you'll get butchered meat. Now listen, you're a Christian. You ought to be a part of an, a local assembly. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, praise God. Stand your feet. Hallelujah, Jesus. Next time we write the Bible, Jesus, we need to make it a little better. Not really. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Bible says when you all come together on the first day, that means you got to come together. If you don't show up, you can't do what the prophet has told you to do and the apostle told you to do. You have to do what God wants you to do. Amen? Amen. Let's get back in the house of God. Let's encourage those that are backslidden. If you see your brother in error, go to that brother and restore him. Bring him back to the house of God. I don't know why he got mad. I don't know why he got hurt. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've been married 47 years. There hasn't been a day that I haven't been hurt. Yeah. Today, he's sitting there eating eggs and toast and drinking coffee. Great. But there was no paper plate for me. Why did you cook while I was in the shower? I'm telling you. Do you get that at home, Kevin? You don't? You ought to start a school. Do you get that at home, Doc? You can't speak. Okay, all right. How about you, Bill? You love your wife. Oh, good Lord. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God, we pray right now. God, we just want to be a part of the body of the living God. God, the living organism that expresses who you are to a lost and dying world. Now, God, we ask you to join us to assembly. We ask you, God, to let us find our place in the assembly. We ask you, God, that, God, you would help us be effective as an assembly. And, God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday evening.